I entered the workforce at age 12. Uh, I got a job with my stepdad at the cold storage facility that he ran. So I spent most of my days after school um, hauling pallets around, and it's there that I learned how to drive a forklift and maneuver a pallet jack or a hand truck and all that. So I worked there three days a week, and um, my pay was zero. And uh, the reason was because my parents said that I was gain- what I was gaining was a work ethic, and I didn't need money, which I would sorely disagree. But anyway... Uh, but they did. Uh, I did have this option that if I worked all day on Saturday, and by the way, all day on Saturday did not mean nine to five. It meant eight in the morning till eight at night. I got 20 bucks. So basically they were running a sweatshop uh, is what it worked out to. But uh, at 15, I got my first real job. And uh, that was um, when I say real job. I mean, real jobs in like filling out a W-2 and all that. Um, that was at Wendy's. And uh, I actually enjoyed working at Wendy's. It was a great fit for me because I loved fast food and they sold it. So that worked out well, and uh, I worked there for about eight or nine months, and uh, and I quit because um, I'll be honest, I left for the money. Um, I got a job at a new company that was opening called Target. You may have heard of them. Uh, there was a new new company that was uh, opening, and uh, you know they they offered to pay me four dollars and forty four cents an hour, and that's just money. I couldn't I couldn't leave that money on the table. Uh, and I understand this was nineteen eighty nine, so that was back when. Four dollars and forty-four cents actually meant something, uh, even though it was still uh, not much back then. Uh, but I was a stock boy, and uh, I actually helped open the store that was in Coral Springs. And uh, when we drive, when we're in Coral Springs, we drive by. I'll usually tell Carrie, "Oh, you know," she'll. I tell her the same stories like hundreds of times, and she's just like, "Oh yeah, you, I, I know." And um, but I will drive by that Target, and I'll say, "See, that's the Target I helped with to open." And uh, I sometimes will call it my store, which is really kind of sad on many levels. Um, but then um, I, I but I learned something very quickly when I started working, even at, you know, 15, 16 years old. I didn't like the man. I don't know if you're familiar with the man, but I wasn't really too happy with the man. I didn't really like having um, a, a boss. And so I would um, I, I, I'd work at a job for a while and then I'd quit. And even when I got my job at Target at the, you know, I mean, the, the, the exorbitant fee that they were, you know, the four dollars and forty four cents an hour. I mean, like, what am I going to do with all that money? Um, but I, I actually quit that job. Well, I shouldn't say I quit. I actually just stopped showing up. Um, and then um, after a month of not working, I just was sitting at home and watching cartoons or whatever it is that you do when you're 15 or 16. Uh, my mom comes into my room one day and she says, well, why did you quit the job at Target? That was like a good job for you. And I thought, and for whatever reason, I, I just, I thought, you know, you're right. That was a pretty good job for me. And uh, because I had never really quit, I just stopped coming in. I still had my uniform. And um, back then, uh, you could kind of wear whatever you want. You just had to wear a red vest. Not now. You have to, now you wear the khakis and the, and the red polo. But back then, it was just, you know, you wore whatever you want, but you had the red vest. Um, so you were like sheriff at, uh, at, at Target. Uh, so anyway, so I just grabbed my red uh, vest, and I went back to Target. And uh, now you would think, and I think when my mom told me to go back to work, she thought that I'd talk to the manager before I actually would go back to work, which I chose not to do. I just um, put the vest on, and then I walked up to the, the, the thing that I punch in, and I put in my code, and it still worked. Um, and so I just punched in, and I went to the back room where, the, where I usually worked as a stock boy, and I just started working. Didn't speak to a soul about it. I just started working. And uh, about, an, I don't know, an hour later, the manager is walking by, and he stops, and he goes, Frank was, what are you doing here? Didn't you quit? 
And I said, uh, I said, I'm back. And, and my favorite thing is his reply. He goes, um, okay, that sounds good. And he just kept walking. Like, I had gotten hired at Target. I quit and I rehired myself. And then two months later, I quit again. And that's the funny part to me. Um, because I re- just realized that I just had an issue of being told what to do. And uh, between the ages of 15 and 18, I worked in about 20 different places. And someday, when uh, we have nothing else to talk about, I will tell you the story of all the crazy places that I've worked at. Um, and so, but, you know, I'd make some excuse as to why I, I couldn't go to work there or why I didn't want to work there. But it was, really came down to the same thing. And that is I didn't like having a boss. And um, uh, after becoming a Christian, this is the part that's funny to me, is that after I became a Christian, um, when I was in, uh, uh, I, got a, I got a job as a delivery guy. And, um, and so I, after I had been there for one year, they gave me this, uh, they gave everyone who had been there for a year this keychain. And I, it's like the silliest thing. It's just like this little bronze keychain, and it had a one. It just said one year. And I remember that they gave me that. I'm like, hey, this, you know, you've been here for a year, so we want to give this to you. And I put it on my keychain, and every day I would see it. Because I actually, most people didn't use the keychain. They thought it was lame. That was like something from your work on the keychain. I thought it was awesome. And because uh, I had every day, I would look at it, and I was, I'd be like, Jesus really has changed my life. I was able to stay at a place for over a year. And I didn't even really like it that much. And I, it's, uh, anyway, so it's just like this proof. How do you know you're a Christian? Because I've stayed at this job for a year. That's how I know. That's how I know the gospel has changed me, is that. And, um, and, but here's the, here's the point. This is what we're really going to drill down on this morning, is that no matter what you do, uh, you have a boss. Even if you say, well, I don't want to have a boss, so I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to start my own company. Listen, you still have a boss. And if your company gets big enough, uh, you're going to have shareholders and board of directors. And even if not, even if you say, I'm just going to be a, a one-man, one-woman entrepreneur, you're still going to have a boss. Some would call them the customer. But, but the truth is, is that um, whether you're an employer, whether you're an employee, all of us have someone that we work for. And what I want to talk to you about this morning or this afternoon, I believe can change your entire perspective on work. It can change your relationship with your boss and ultimately, I believe, change the trajectory of your life as you realize how important it is what it, what it is that you do right now. And the phrase that I want to drill down on really is the theme of what the Apostle Paul is going to write to us in the book of Ephesians. And that is this, as a follower of Jesus, your boss is God. Your boss is God. And that is that you work for him. And, and listen, if you and I can get this principle into our minds and into our hearts, it will change our attitude that we have about our workplace. I mean, it, it'll totally change it. It'll make it very, very different. If we will apply this principle, we will see the people that we work with very, very differently. If we will apply this principle, we will see uh, the people over us or the people that we oversee. We will see them very differently. Because when you and I understand the gospel, we understand that, listen, we don't work for a person ultimately. That they may have some authority over us and we will honor that and respect that. But ultimately, we, uh, we work for God. And understand that this is contrary to the popular view. Um, the Greeks uh, that Paul was writing to um, had a very similar idea of work that maybe many in our culture have today. Um, many in our culture think that work is just a necessary evil. That's what the ancient Greeks believed, is that work was a necessary evil. You do it because you have to. You do the minimum to get by. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that work is actually holy. 
that work is actually a gift that is given to us by God, not a curse, but work is actually a gift. Now, those of you that have read the scriptures a little bit, you might say, well, doesn't the Bible say that Adam, that, that, that work was actually the curse that God gives man? Well, once again, that, that's actually a misaccurate reading of the text. Because what we find is, is that prior to the curse, when God created man, God gave him work to do. So work was never the curse. Instead, it was the joy and fulfillment that he would get from that, from that work. Because if you remember, God creates Adam and long before the fall, he gives him a job. The first thing he tells him is that he's to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. He's, he's in charge. But the other thing that he has to do is, when he um, has, when all these animals show up, God brings the animals to him, and he has to name all of them. Now, I don't know how he catalogs them, but I'm guessing that naming thousands of animals is a little bit of a chore to do, and there's some, there's some work there. But the difference is this. The work that he does is a joy. But then the curse comes in, mankind falls into sin, and yet here's what happens is that now the work that once was easy and a joy now gets harder. The work that was very, very satisfying isn't quite so satisfying anymore. And now things begin to change. And, here, and now we're going to fast forward a few thousand years and we get to the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians. We fast forward a couple thousand more years. It's you and I reading this passage in Ephesians. And here's what Paul's going to talk to us about is that our work matters. Our work mattered to Adam. His work mattered to God. These people, their work mattered to God. And our work matters to God as well. Because it reveals our worship. Now the thing that's important for us to note, and this is the frame that I want to give you for this this section, is that everything that we've been talking about uh, in the last couple of weeks is kind of is built on, in, the, in context, Ephesians 5.18. Now Ephesians 5.18 says this, I put it in your notes. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, so when Paul, that's in Ephesians 5.18. So when, when in Ephesians 5.22, Paul says, now wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He's talking about a wife that is filled with the Spirit, because that's the only way you can do that. When he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her in Ephesians 5.25, he's talking about a husband that's filled with the spirit that's able to love his wife sacrificially. When he says uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children, honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He's talking about uh, children that are filled with God's spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, when he says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but rather train them uh, in, in the admonition of the Lord. He's talking about teaching them. That is a parent who is filled with the Spirit. So now when Paul is going to talk about employers and employees and what it is that they need to do, listen, it's in the context of being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about three things that are hugely important. Two things that have to do with employees, one thing that has to do with employers. And here's the thing that's really important for us in our time together, is that if you and I focus on the wrong thing, our work will never make sense. If we focus on money, or we focus on position, or we focus on promotion, our work will never make sense. But instead, if we focus on the fact that we are working for God and He has us in a particular place for a particular reason at a particular time, then our role at work, our position at work, the time that we're at work will begin to make sense. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians 6 because we're going to start reading in verse 5 and here's what it says. It says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh 
with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart and as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, the first thing that I want to tell you about work is this. Number one, working is God's will. It's God's will. It's God, it was God's will for Adam prior to the fall. It's God's will after the fall. It's God's will for the Ephesians. And it's God's will for you and for me. When I was in college, I had a job briefly working on a construction site. Um, the job didn't last all that long, but I was there. Uh, and it wasn't glorious work, but it kind of paid the bills for a season. And um, the guy that trained me was this guy by the name of Martin. And uh, Martin, uh, the only reason he had the job was because his uncle was uh, the the, the uh, contractor who was overseeing this job. Now, the job was um, we were remodeling a house on the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale. So it was literally right on the water. And um, this guy, Martin, is probably the laziest person I've ever met in my entire life. So, and what would happen is, is that my job, my glorious job, was to be on the roof of this house, ripping off the tiles, uh, uh, the, the, the tiles, and then putting them in this wheelbarrow and wheeling them to the front of the house as, because in, in the driveway of the front of the house, there was this huge dumpster. And so we were dumping all this stuff into the, uh, into this dumpster and then we'd take more, fill it up. Well, anyway, so I, I get there and I start working. It's 8 a.m. on Monday. And it, within about two hours, I've got a real good amount of the, of the house. You know, I'm say probably 15, 20% of the house. I mean, I've got everything taken off. And he just go. he's livid. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, do you have any idea what's going to happen if we get done too soon? And I'm like, no. He's like, they're going to put us to do something else. And he's like, listen, we've got to stretch this out till at least Friday. And I'm like, dude, we're going to stretch it out till Friday. I don't know how we're going to stretch this till 5 o'clock. And he's like, no, 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 no. We've got to stretch this out. And so he starts telling me, and he's like, listen, you see how you're doing? Listen, you take a couple of tiles, and then you throw them over. Then we'll talk for a little bit. And then we'll come back over and then uh, we're going to take lunch and then, you know, that it'll be a while and then we'll come back. And he says, you know, but listen, we can't do too much or they're going to put us to do some really hard stuff. And uh, and, and, he, and then he says this, this was like his motto for a living. Um, and he says, listen, just remember this. We're taking this one break at a time. And that was like his motto for life. Like I remember I was up there and I was ripping off some tiles and uh, and he <laughs> he uh he says to me, he says, hey, I'll be right back. Anyway, like 45 minutes go by and I'm looking for him and I go and I look, I go to the back of the house and he's sunbathing next to the pool. And I'm like, dude. And he's like, I, I, I'll be right back. I'll be right back, right back. And I'm like, anyway, forget it. And um, but you'd be happy to know Martin now uh, resides in a socialist country where he's living off the government. Uh, no, no real shock there. And that socialist country is not America. Um, and uh, that was not a political statement. Although it could be. Uh, and so, but here's the thing that I've learned uh, in, in, in my life. And it's this, listen, when we work hard at our job, uh, people are open to hearing about our faith because they respect our work ethic. When we work hard at our job, what happens is, is that God continues to bless us. If you read the story of Joseph, this guy works hard and God continues to give him influence to the point where now he's able to do great things um, in, in, in Egypt. You're able to do great things within the company that you work for. And you see your influence grow because there's a goal that God has for you um, in that place that we're going to talk about uh, in, in a moment. 
But that's why Paul addresses slaves and masters in this section. Now, let me talk about this for a moment, because sometimes this passage is misunderstood. Now, first of all, let me say this. Number one, I'm against slavery. Um, I, I believe it's wrong. Number two, let me say this, that slavery in the first century was much different than we experienced slavery in the, in the United States um, over a century ago. Um, the Bible does not condone slavery like we saw in the United States. Um, slavery, on the other hand, was a reality in the Roman world in which the New Testament was written. History tells us that upwards of 60 million slaves were in the Roman Empire at the time of the writing of the New Testament. That was one out of three people. That's one-third of the population of the Roman Empire. Now, here was the differences, though, when we talk about slavery, when the Bible talks about slaves and masters. Um, in the U.S., slavery was based on race, and it was for life. Okay? Uh, in the Roman culture, every race of people had slaves, and every race of people were slaves. So it was not based on race, and it was never for life. Um, what would happen is a person could become a slave for many reasons, and many of those reasons were voluntary. Let's say you owed someone a lot of money, and uh, there, were no, there was no Chapter 11, there were no bankruptcy attorneys back then. You owed money, you had to pay, that was the end of the story. So you say, well, what, do you, what happens if you owe somebody money and you don't have any money? The only thing you could do is basically sell yourself to them into slavery to say, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for you for this many years. And then after that period of time is over, my debt to you will be paid and I'll be free to go. And that's what happened many times. Um, and so but here's what happens is that the gospel uh, of Christ comes in and brings equality to all people. And there's no longer a caste system between slaves and those who are free. Instead, it brings equality and it says that there's no differentiation between slaves and freed men, but instead that all of us were equal in the sight of God. So Paul writes to slaves and he writes to uh, those who the masters who are overseeing slaves, knowing that each of these situations was temporary because no one was a slave forever and no one was going to be the master of that person forever as well. And also the other thing that's important to notice, this had no bearing in the church. You could have a person um, in the church who was a slave and was a leader in the church. And you could have another person uh, in the church who was a master. And the person who was the slave of, of this other person, he could be a leader uh, of the person who actually was the master. And so in, in the church, there really was no bearing. And so they could walk into the church and the roles could be totally reversed. The slave could be the one in, in leadership and having authority um, over the person who was the master outside of uh, of the church. And so, but the point that Paul is making is that whatever situation, whatever, wherever it is that you land, God is your boss. And the way that we have to contextualize this is we don't call it slaves and masters. Now we have a different relationship. It's employers and employees. Now, let me tell you what these verses don't mean. These verses don't mean when we talk about, um, you know, that if you're a person, you're working for someone, it says that to obey, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. What they doesn't mean is that you should do anything unethical just because your boss tells you to do it. It also doesn't mean that you're trapped in your current job and no, you know, because your boss would be unhappy if you applied for another position. That's not what the Bible is talking about either. I'll tell you what the, what the verses do mean. is What it does mean is that if you have a job, to do the job that you're getting paid to do. Uh, and so when everybody else is goofing off, you're working and doing the job that you're being paid to do. When everybody else is bidding on eBay, guess what you're doing? You're working. When everybody else is playing Farmville, check it out. You're working. And by the way, if I can just say a brief word about Farmville for a moment. Um, the only people 
Well, let me not say that. Uh, the only reason a person would want to play Farmville is because you've never actually been on a farm. Uh, because I have an uncle that grew, that had a farm, uh, that and, and uh, I would go there. My dad would take my brother and I there, and uh, he had you know pigs and chickens and all this stuff, and it was a horrible place. You know why? Because you walk onto a farm, and it's like all of these animals have used the restroom at the same time, and it smells like that, and you're going to step in that stuff, and then it's like it's noisy and nasty. And, and then, because, and so if you've actually been on a farm and they say, hey, let's play the farm game. You know what the farm game I want to play is? To run as fast as I can away from the farm. Like jail is the farm and I'm going to run away from that. And I'm telling you that, uh, and that's why I can't understand. You know, I, I don't understand Farmville. And I'm going to stop there because I'm going to get in trouble. Because people are like, come on, Farmville is okay. No, it's not okay. It means you've never been on a farm. And it means you live a very sheltered life. Um, and uh, but I'm telling you, you know, you don't. You, when everybody's playing Farmville, you're working. When everybody sends you those YouTube clips, you've got to watch this. You know, it's a, mo- a video of a monkey that types while he's wearing a red hat, listening to old Madonna songs. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what? I'm just not going to watch that. You know why? Be- because the, when you think back, nobody in five years is going to be like, dude, I'm so glad I invested all that time in Farmville. My farm is humongous. You know, nobody's actually going to say that. Nobody's going to say, I'm so glad I watched all those YouTube clips. I'm so glad. I'm, I know all the words to Chocolate Rain now, you know, uh, or, or whatever other song it is. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, or, or that video of the little kid, who dan- you know, whatever it is, because all those videos go around. I'm telling you, you just say, I'm, I'm just, I just, I just didn't. I just did. I didn't do it. You know, when people, uh, boy, now I'm going to get in trouble. Um, you ever have this where people send you, like they send you the forwarded emails? Uh, and then the forwarded emails are like, the, the, they, they send it to you and they're like, this is, this, this is, if you love anyone, please send this to 10 people. And I personally hate those. I want to beat people who send me that stuff. Um, and then, but here's what will happen. They'll say, and then, but I just delete it. And, I, and you know what the thing that bugs me is that I, I don't know about you, but I feel guilty sometimes when I delete it. Like I delete it like, there was a rose and God spoke to a dove and the dove responded and said, I love Jesus. Please send this to a friend in need. And I'm like, click, delete. And then I'm like, don't I love anyone? I didn't even send this to my mom, you know. And then I'm like, I don't even really like my family. Delete them all, you know. And then, you know, I'm telling you, it's just not, it's, 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 it's maddening. So that's why you just avoid all that. You do your job and things end up working out well. Why? Because when you're doing your work, you know that it's God's will. Now, you say, well, just work. Now, this is where it gets interesting because there's two sides to this. Now, look at verse 7. He says this. He says, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to know. Uh, The first is is that working is God's will. The second thing is this, is that working is a mission field. Now, there's really, that's why there's two sides to this. The first is, is that we're getting paid to do a job, so we need to do the job well. The second thing that's important to note is, is that besides working, we're believers and we're Christians. And so that means that God has placed us in certain places at a certain time because God has a certain mission for us to fulfill. Now, let me explain it this way. I have two friends. Um, I have more than two, but I'm going to talk about two. You say, well, if you're not forwarding emails, you're not going to have any friends after that. Uh, 
But, but here's the, I have two friends, and both of them are teachers. Um, one uh, teaches here in the States, and the other, uh, lives in, he's a teacher, and he lives in the Middle East. Um, and uh, this teacher that lives in the Middle East, he actually has started a school, a computer school, uh, in the Middle East, which is why he's, how he's able to stay in the country. But see, he's not really, if you asked him, like, hey, what do you do? He wouldn't say he's a computer teacher. He would tell you if he was here, he would say that he's a missionary in this country, but that his cover is that he teaches computers. But what he really does is that he's, uh, he's there uh, to reach people and to, and to share the gospel. Now, here's the thing. If I asked you, and we did like one of those word problems, like when you're in the fifth grade, and, and we said, now, which one of those is the missionary? Two teachers. One starts a computer school. The other is a teacher in the United States. And this is a, Which one is the missionary? We'd say, oh, the second one. The truth is both of them are. One of them just doesn't realize it. And that's the thing that's important for us to understand. The fallacy that sometimes we believe is that missionaries go to other countries and the rest of us stay home. But the Bible teaches this, that if you're a believer, all of us are missionaries. All of us are ministers. All of us are in a place that, we are, that, that we're put into, whether we're in another country or whether we're in our home country. But God has put us in this place for a specific reason, a specific time, and a specific purpose. Now let me let you in on a little secret. And the secret is this, is that you aren't a teacher or a student or a lawyer or an administrative assistant or a construction worker or a realtor or a mortgage broker or a banker or a mechanic or a cop or a nurse. You are a minister. You are a missionary. You are, but you are disguised as all of those things. You see, you aren't what your business card says that you are. Instead, you're a missionary posing as one of those things. And the point is this is that you're, you're there because God has put you there and you're doing the job as best you can because that's what you're, you're paid to do. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the only reason that you're at work. You're at work there because God, for whatever reason, has decided to put you there. And now that you're there, the whole point is this, is that God wants you to reach people. But the key is this, and this is where sometimes we can get mixed up, because sometimes you can say, well, I'm there to work and that's it. Or sometimes you can go on the other side and we can say, I'm there to minister, and that's it. Wrong. Instead, it's the two things. I'm there to work, but I'm also a minister. I'm there to work, but I'm also a missionary. I'm there to minister, but here's what I know, is that when I do the work that God has for me at this job, what happens is, is that my credibility goes up every time I do my job better, and I get promoted, and I get recognized, and now I have more opportunity to share with my peers, share with my subordinates, share with my superiors, and watch God work in an amazing way. And that's why the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And uh, the reason that we t- I mentioned this is because a couple of weeks ago we talked in Ephesians 4. And we talked about this. I'm going to read you the passage. It says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And what we talked about is this, is that you are a minister. If you're a Christian, you are a minister. And here's the deal, is that as, as a pastor, my role is to equip you, to, the saints of God, to do the ministry. And sometimes at, at, we, we might say, whoa, 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 I, I'm no saint. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but, but a saint? Aren't saints like people that get like stained glass, like pictures of themselves or something? No. Here, you know, be, listen, the world is really divided into two types of people. Saints and ain'ts. That's about it. You're a saint or an ain't. And, 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 and that's it. And the question is, 
If you're a believer, if you're following Jesus, then you are a saint. And, that, and what that word saint really means is someone who is set apart for a, spe- for a special purpose. And so the question becomes, what is the purpose that God has for you? Why is it that God has set you apart? And part of that is sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, don't you understand, Pastor? You've got to pray for me. I'm the only Christian in my workplace. I don't know why God has me here. And I'll say, that's exactly why God has you there. Because now you're the only Christian in your workplace. Because before you were there, that place was full of darkness. And now God has taken someone who is a bringer of light, who walks in now and is able to do a great job and thus gain the credibility and respect of the people that they work with and also be able to share the light of the gospel with those that they come into contact with. And that's why the Bible says that you do, you do good work, not just when the boss is looking, because your goal isn't to just please the boss. Your goal is to please your ultimate boss who is God because the people around you are watching as well. Because no, all of us know that guy, right? The guy that only works when the boss is around. How do you feel about that guy? You can't stand that guy. You want to videotape that guy when he's goofing off and put it on YouTube and mail it to your boss. But then like, your boss is going to think, like, why are you videotaping people at work instead of working? And then see how it becomes a problem. And so, but the issue is this, is that when you work hard, it actually builds your testimony and it makes people more open to hear what you have to, what you have to say when you talk about your faith because our work ethic reveals a lot about our beliefs. Because here's the thing, people who aren't Christians understand this really, really well. Um, and those of us who are Christians, sometimes we forget this. People who aren't Christians, here's what they understand. They understand that your faith should impact every area of your life. And that if you're a follower of Jesus, and that means that you should really try to do the right thing in every area of your life. And yet the odd thing is that sometimes as Christians, we'll try to compartmentalize our faith and say, well, faith is what I do on Sunday, or faith is what I do when I'm at home. But when I'm at work, I mean, you've got to act differently. And yet here's what people who aren't Christians understand, is that real faith affects every part of your life and it changes who you are. And that's why sometimes people in our office aren't, They don't care about our theological understanding. They will care about it. But what they want to know is, is that has Jesus really changed you? And does that mean that you're going to do the job you said you're going to do? And then once you've gained the credibility that I actually want to talk to you, when you talk to me about your faith, now what you know really is is important to me. But sometimes we get like this this thing kind of messed up and, and we'll be like, well, but I'm working there. What if my boss asks me to do something illegal? You may want to write this down. Don't do it. That's pretty much, the you know, boss has to do something illegal. Don't do it. Um, and if you feel that's going to be a problem, then, then work somewhere else. And if you feel like, well, all my boss asks me to do is something illegal. Well, number one, you know, quit the mafia and, uh, and, and go get some, you know, go get a different line of work. Um, when I, when, uh, it was probably about, gosh, I'm guessing I was probably 19. I had just become a Christian. I've been a Christian for maybe six months. And um, I had a, it was a friend of a friend. I knew the guy, but not real well. He was making a ton of money working at this uh, telemarketing type company. Uh, but he was sell- he was doing like phone sales, but he was selling these set of the set of keys. And so he got me the job at this place selling these keys. And uh, it was a set of 12 keys that were on this ring. And they could the whole thing was the, they could open the door to any car. And uh, that was the thing. So we were calling like garages and we were calling mechanic shops and we were calling towing companies, people that might actually um, have need of 
a, a set of 12 keys that could open any car. So I got trained, and I'm there on my first day, and we're making calls. And uh, because I'm there, they put me, uh, there was kind of this long table, and I was at the very end, and the right, I was at the wall, and the boss's door was right there. So I was the desk closest to him. Well, his door was open, and I hear him talking to somebody uh, in his office, to, you know, talking about how the keys don't work. He's selling the keys, but the key, he obviously he knows that like the keys don't work. And so I hear that, and I say, you know, like, well, what do you, you know? And I say, I mean, I can't. I'm a Christian. I, I can't. This is like a, this was like a big test for me. I've been a Christian for like six, eight months. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I just said, I just got up and I told him I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do the job because I'm a Christian and ethically I just can't sell people something that doesn't work. And, um, and, and here's the thing. So the, the easy thing is if, if your boss asks you to do something that's going to violate the word of God, then you don't do it. Um, but don't stay and complain and, and, and create discord because that dishonors God as well. Instead, if you say, I can't do this because of, of my commitment to the Lord, then you just move on. We say, well, what if I'm, and this is what I hear sometimes, they say, well, you, I should work hard, but what if I'm being paid too little? That's another question that comes up. You know, what if I'm just not being paid what I'm worth? Um, well, this, and this is the question, this is usually how my, what my response is. I'll say, well, were you forced or let me say it this way, were you under some kind of duress uh, when, when you took the job? He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, gun to your head, knife to your throat, something like that, when you said yes to the job. And they say, well, no. And I'll say, so you're saying that you willingly took this job, and, and now did they say they were going to pay you one thing and they paid you something else? No, they told me what they were going to pay me, and they actually can't, they, they, I pay me what they were going to pay me. And I said, so if you agreed to the salary willingly, then listen, we've got to do the job that we said we were going to do uh, because that's, that's the right thing to do. We gave our word and we need to do it. This is generally the response, and that is, but I can't pay my bills with the salary because the boss won't pay more. Now, I, I will readily admit that this isn't the nicest answer in the world, but it, it, sometimes um, you've got to speak the truth in love. And so um, this is what when people say that to me, and I've gotten that question, you know, that statement many times, and they'll say, but that's a problem, you know, the boss won't pay more. And so my response is, and if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me say this, I'll say, are you the highest paid person in your company? And they'll say no. And I'll say, so really the issue is, it's not that the boss won't pay more, the boss won't pay you more. And see, that now kind of changes things, um, because here's the thing that's really important. Um, And sometimes we create ourselves a lot of frustration at work, because there are a lot of jobs that were never meant to be careers. And sometimes we create financial hardship for ourselves and for our family, all because we've been in a job too long because that job was never meant to be a career. Um, I've told you this, uh, maybe not this part, but I've told you that when I was in college, uh, in my first year of college, I worked for this company that, um, uh, and I would go to school all day and I, would deli- I was a delivery guy at night. And, um, and so, which is fine. I mean, you don't make tons of money as a delivery guy, but when you're 20 and you live at home and you're in college, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's okay money. And, but there was this other guy that was there that was married, and he had a, a young daughter, and he was a delivery guy too. But that's all he did. Except, you know, now, and he was making as much as I was. Now, that's not a big deal, except I lived at home with my mom while I was going to school. This guy was shaving regularly, and, uh, you know, I mean, he was like the man in, in, his, in his house, and he would complain about the boss and how the company didn't pay him and how this is what was wrong with America and corporate greed and blah, blah, blah. And I would, I would think like, you know, I was 20 years old at the time and I'm like, dude, this was never meant to be a career. 
This is what kids who live with their mom and are in college and are still at home, this is the job for them. But, I mean, you, you can't, you know, this is like for stu- college students make some extra cash. This is not meant to be a career. So sometimes, listen, if you say, well, man, I just, this is just frustrating. Listen, it could be, you could be frustrating yourself needlessly because you're in a place and, and, you're, and you're, you're hurting your testimony at work because you're in a place where you say, this job was just never meant to be a career. Well, here's another question that comes up, and they'll say, but you've got to understand, my boss is discriminating against my religious beliefs. And I'd say, well, well, what happens? And this is the thing that happens. Well, you know, those emails that people send out, well, I forwarded an email, and it was one of those, um, you know, well, the, there was the dove, and the dove spoke to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him the verse, and then there was a rose that flies across. And then it said, if you love someone, please email them the rose. In fact, send 10 people the rose if you want them to live. And then, um, and if you ever got like one of those, um, and so then, and so then you sent the boss one, and then the boss came out and yelled at you for using the email for dumb things during company time. And you're like, well, I can't believe you're discriminating against my religious beliefs because I sent you the, the rose about the dove who spoke to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, I am the dove, or whatever, you know. And then, and I can't believe you said that. And you're like, well, this is not, you know, this is just dumb. This is not what you're being paid to do. You're just sending dumb emails about the rose. And then, and I'm telling you, and it's like, this whole thing begins to compound. And it's like, well, the boss is just saying, listen, just do what you get paid to do. When you get home, send out the emails with the rose, with the dove, after you're done playing Farmville. And then you're all set. And, uh, but you got to honor God while, while, while you're at work. And so, um, so that so that's there's it's, there's two sides. There's the part where we got to work more at work. There's the other part where, where work is working as a mission field. where We know that God has called us to a particular place at a particular time for a particular reason, and that, and that we are missionaries there, doing God's work. Whatever the science is on the door, whatever our business card says, that's not really who we are. We're missionaries. We're ministers there. But the way that we build our credibility and we get a voice with those who are around us is by doing the job that we're paid to do. But then Paul goes on to give one verse to talk about uh, employers and what they need to do. And this is what he says in verse 9. He says, And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing I want to share with you, and that is that working is a privileged position. It's a privileged position. Um, listen, this is what God has to say about bosses. And if you say, well, I hope to be the boss someday, then please listen. If you say, well, I, I want to be in management, I want to oversee people or whatever, you want to listen to me very carefully. Because he actually tells bosses four things in this one verse. He tells them this. He says, and you masters, do the same things to them. Do what things? You'll see what he says in, in verses 7 and 8. He says, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord. So he says this, do good to your employees. You want your employees to do good to you, then do good to them. Number two, he says this in the same verse. He says, giving up threatening. The worst bosses in the world are the bosses that threaten the jobs of the people that work for them. Um, because it doesn't work. And they use it as a means of trying to motivate them to do a better job. And it doesn't work. Listen, if somebody that works for you needs to be fired, then, then release them. But don't, like, dangle their job over their head. Instead, show them how they can succeed. Because one of the things that's important to note is, is that every person, if you're, if you're in management, every person who works or reports to you or works for you should have a very clear understanding of what a win looks like for them. That is, they say, this is what my job is, but when I do this and this and this, this is what the win looks like. 
This is how I know that I'm doing um, a, a good job or not. And if you make that very clear and you set very clear goals and objectives, now you have a measurement by which to measure whether this person is doing well or not. Number three is this, is what he says in verse 9. He says, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He says, remember that you, hey boss, guess what? Remember that you have a boss in heaven. Because if Jesus is your boss, then your role is to act like him. And how did Jesus act to those 12 that followed him, those 12 that were serving under him? He served them. He trained them. He walked with them. And listen, that's our role as well. If you've got people that you oversee, then your role is to train them and teach them how to succeed. And then number four, he says this. And the last one, he says, there is no partiality with him. And here's number four. Hey, bosses, guess what? God doesn't show favorites. Just because you're the boss does not mean that God likes you more. God didn't choose you to be the boss because you are the greatest person ever. Uh, Oh, I'm the boss because God just loves me a little more than those underlings who are under, you know, that's that's not. And I actually got a forwarded email about how I'm special like a rose and the dove. No, that's not not how it works. But instead, it's this. It's that it means that you all it means is that you have been entrusted with a privileged position. And the question that we have to answer is, is that will we be faithful with the position that he's entrusted to us? Because if you're a Christian and you actually have people that uh, that report to you, guess what? You, you have an, an enormous responsibility to 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 represent Christ to them, especially if they're not believers. To say this is how Christ served those who followed him. And now those who are reporting to me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve and reflect the Savior that has saved me. You see, my friends, work is a big part of your life and a big part of my life because you and I will spend one-third of our waking hours this week, next week, the week after. Most of our lives, we spend one-third of our waking hours at work. And just like you is just like me. Sometimes we see the people that we work with more than we, we see our family on some days. And that's why this thing is so important. And that's why we've got to get this thing about work right. And if we really like grabbed hold of this and really understood it and we worked like God was our boss, I'm telling you, it would change everything. We would start working when most people are still playing because studies show that the average person, uh, the average person in the workforce works two hours in an actual eight-hour day. Imagine what happened if you worked eight hours in an eight-hour day. Your stock in the company would immediately shoot up. You'd probably get promoted. You'd probably get a raise. And your influence would broaden so that you'd be able to share with those that you were hoping to be able to share with about your faith. And so you'd be able to reach more people. You'd gain the respect of your bosses, of your peers, of your subordinates, and you'd be able to do the very thing that God wants you to do because you all because you realize that, listen, I don't work for this person. I ultimately work for God. Because sometimes we think that, the work, that, that really working for God is working for a church or working for uh, a Christian organization or, or something like that. Um, can I just tell you that that's not the case? Um, when I was in my last year of school, I, I had the, the job that I had right before I went into ministry was this uh, company that manufactured home accessories. Now, I used to say, uh, I, I say that manufactured home accessories uh, because I used to say um, I, I had this job, that this place that sold pots. And sometimes people don't catch that and they say, oh, Pastor Bob had a, used to have a job at a place that sold pots. And uh, they'd be like, Pastor Bob's struggling with drugs, you know, and it'd be kind of like a big thing. And no, I'm, I'm not. I'm doing OK now. Um, and <laughs> I'm doing just fine. I've actually never seen a drug or done one in my entire life. That's another, that's another story. So kids, just say no. 
Hugs, not drugs. Anyway, um, so the, the point of the matter is, is that um, I, I had this job at this company that manufactured home accessories because you can't say, so you know, Pastor Bob's struggling with home accessories. See, it doesn't really work that way. So anyway, so I had this, uh, I had this, this job at this company. And uh, one, I was in sales for part of it, but the other part of it, I had like these, all these administrative tasks. And one of the things that was my responsibility was whenever we'd get a new catalog in with all the, the, the new line of all these home accessories, there'd be pictures of the items. And then on the back, one of my jobs was to put stickers on the back of these pictures so that the sales reps could go out and then sell the stuff and then they could write in the order forms uh, the right uh, like SKU number or item number that corresponded to the, the card. And so um, so what happened was is that, and I'll be honest with you, imagine like putting hun- you know, thousands of stickers on hundreds of pictures. It is very boring, very tedious work. And so I would have stacks and stacks of like those, you know, Avery 5160 labels, you know, like boxes of them, all of these pictures and all this. I mean, you know, and so people would walk by my office and they'd ask me how I'm doing. And I'd say, and this would be what I would say. I would say, I'm changing the world one sticker at a time. That was my that was my phrase. One sticker at a time. I'm changing the world now. um, And I I was being sarcastic because I actually hated that. Um, But now I want to fast forward now three or four years. And uh, I've graduated from school, and uh, I'm, I'm an intern pastor at a church, and I'm actually running a college um, th- th- there, and uh, that's one of my responsibilities is, is administrating this school. And um, we had just gotten our, our new catalog for our new school year, and we had a log of all these people that wanted catalogs because they wanted to see if maybe the school was right for them. And uh, so normally my assistant would do this, but I wanted to show that I was, uh, you know, a servant. And uh, so I decided, you do what you're doing, and I'll just go ahead and, um, and, and take care of uh, all the catalogs. So I get all the stuff and, the, you know, the labels, and I get the, the envelopes, and I get the catalogs, and I get the letters and all that, and the business cards. And I take all of it, and, uh, and I go into the, our school library, and nobody's there because school's out. So I kind of spread out all my stuff, and then I start putting everything in there, and I'm... And I'm uh, sealing the envelopes and I'm putting the business cards in there and the letter from me and all this stuff. And, and then finally, um, I, uh, I start putting the labels on the envelopes and somebody comes by and says, Bob, what are you doing? And I had this flashback to a few years before. And I, and here, but here was the difference. I'm sitting in this library and I really believed I was changing the world one sticker at a time. Because I had this picture, because the, the, the students that went to our school and graduated... Um, many of them have gone on. They're, they're, serving in, uh, they're serving the Lord all over the world as missionaries. They're pastoring churches now. Uh, many of my students have taken over churches that needed, um, th- that needed pastors. Many of them are serving on staff and doing a wonderful job in, in assistant pastor roles. And uh, they're doing very, very well. And so I really believe that I was doing the Lord's work at that, at that place. But here's the, here's the weird part, right? Is that at that moment... I began to realize that maybe those years before putting those stickers on those uh, catalog pictures, that I was doing the very same thing. And it didn't actually connect until last year. And this is where the story kind of uh, ends. Um, because there, I, I would, people knew that I was a Christian. People knew that I was in, uh, in going to uh, getting a theology degree and all that. And, and so people would ask me questions sometimes and, I, you know, and, I, and whenever I could, I, I would share my story and share what God was doing in my life. And there was a girl that I replaced. 
um, at the job. She was actually having a baby, but then she came back, and so, but I still uh, had her job. That's why I still had some of the administrative stuff in addition to all the sales stuff that I was doing. And then, um, and so I went to speak at, at the church that I used to, um, that the school was at, that I was an intern at. Uh, the pastor called me and said, hey, we'd love for you to come out and speak. And so last year, um, I went out and, and spoke uh, over there. It was actually right after my son was born. And uh, so I went over there. And uh, they said, oh, you know, this person, once you get there, this person will meet you. And then they'll take you back to the back room or whatever so you can get kind of wired up to, to go speak. And I said, sure. And, um, and so... I get there and I park and so I call the person and I'm like, hey, it's Bob. I just want to know I'm here. And they're like, oh, I'll meet you at the door. So I get to the door and it's the girl that I had replaced. Um, and I had known that she had come to faith in Christ um, at, at, well, you know, it was after, just after I had left. But now she was now serving on staff at the church that I was at and she starts talking about just what, it, what a great thing God is doing in her life. And I realized that, um, and she starts talking about me and another guy and another guy that, that worked there, that were Christians, and the example that we had set in her life. And I, and I realized now, you know, whatever it was, you know, 15 years later or 14 years later, something like that, and I realized, like, all those stickers, that uh, putting stickers on home accessories, I was changing somebody's life, and I didn't even realize it. And I share that with you, friends, to never think that, oh, well, it's those guys, it's those pastors, they're really doing God's work, and I'm just doing some other stuff. Oh, no, my friends, we're all doing God's work. Because all of us, it doesn't matter what it says on your, on, on your business card. It doesn't even matter if you have a business card or not. All of us, we're ministers, we're missionaries, doing the work of God in the place where he has us. Let's pray together. And, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the fact that um, there's no work that we do that doesn't matter to you, but all of it matters. All of it is holy to you. All of it is sacred. And our goal and our prayer is that we might honor you with the work that we do. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for your word that teaches us that nothing that we do um, is irrelevant, but that all of it matters. So help us to be the ministers, the missionaries, even here at home, that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.